Welcome to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Seta. I'm excited to announce Illuminate Live, our first podcast experience recorded in front of a live audience. This happy hour event will take place on Saturday, May 21st at the AAO in Miami Beach, Florida. Come listen to the podcast while enjoying the same cocktails we're having on the show. Please stay tuned for further details. It's the simple things that really will make us successful. And look, there's a lot of threats to our profession, blah, blah, blah. Nobody can do it like we do. Nobody. I'm Dr. Chris Seta, and I'm shining a light on the innovators of our profession. Welcome to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. On today's show, my guest is Dr. Chris Feldman. While Dr. Chris Feldman probably needs no introduction, many of you would not expect him to make it on a podcast about orthodontic innovation. After all, Chris is vocal about being an analog kind of guy, preferring traditional twin braces over custom brackets or aligners. For those of you who don't know Dr. Chris Feldman, he's a Louisiana native with a spicy personality, but a huge heart. Feldman also might be the world's biggest New Orleans Saints fan. Chris has successfully grown his two-location orthodontic practice with his mullet mentality. Yes, that's business up front and party in the back. As you'll hear on today's episode, we'll get Feldman's secret sauce for cooking up a kick-ass team culture. Feldman and I also go head-to-head to debate the digital versus analog workflow in orthodontics. Well, welcome to the podcast, Chris. How are you today? What's up, man? Happy to be here. I don't know why I just called you Chris. I never have called you Chris ever. I always call you Feldman. Chris is a good name, though, isn't it? (laughs) There's way too many Chris's in this world. Depends who you ask. Yeah, I guess so. Feldman, why don't you tell everyone where we're at? We are at the Orthopreneur Summit 2021 in Denver, Colorado. One of the best conferences I've ever been to. It has been really amazing. Glenn and Doug and the team have put together a really good setup. Every oh, detail. Every detail. I mean, even the, the name tag is like the best name tag I've ever had. <laughs> What's your favorite part of OP Summit so far? You know, this is a special conference, not only because of how well done it is, but, you know, obviously it's been a couple of years almost for most people since we've all been able to be together and just seeing so many orthodontists that I care for and mm-hmm. learn from and, you know, the, the, the lectures are always great, but as everybody knows, it's those side conversations that where a lot of learning and inspiration comes in. So for me, OP Summit has been all about like reconnection. I think to me, that's like one of the underlying themes besides, you know, there's a lot of chatter about DSOs, OSOs groups, but it's just, <laughs> it's just about coming back together. And it's been so great reconnecting with so many colleagues and bouncing ideas off each other. And just like the vibe and the energy is just electric, I think. It, it is. And you know, I guess people that know me would say I'm energetic, but like, I needed this. Yeah. This has been, it's overstimulating a little bit, but it's just been from the second I touched down in Denver, it's been awesomeness. Dude, how many people have you hugged? Not enough. <laughs> can never hug enough people. I know, man. It's, it's been crazy. 
So, dude, uh, why don't you tell everyone what we're drinking today? Well, I'm a simple man, and uh, we're drinking Bud Light. <laughs> Bud and, Light. Uh, you know, I went from bougie here to Bud Light. If, yeah. if anyone knows Seta, I, I'm usually here with a cocktail or a glass of wine. And, oh, yeah. Uh, but, Mixologist. But we went back to basics here today because, you know, I want to uh, drink what my guest is drinking. Uh, this is the first Bud Light I've had in a while. Chris said he was going to make me shotgun it. Thank goodness he <laughs> that didn't come up We yet. don't have a set of keys, so. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and I'm not about to try to use my teeth. Yeah, yeah. You can't use a room key, I think, to shotgun no. it. No. I, I didn't learn that one in the fraternity. No. No. <laughs> So, dude, uh, since I saw you last, there's like a little party in the back going on. What's that about? Oh, my haircut? Yeah, your haircut. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I have a mullet. And um, I guess I don't mind attention, right? But uh, it definitely gets a lot of attention, some good, some bad. When the pandemic started, I had always kind of wanted to have a mullet. Mm-hmm. And I uh, said, well, this is my time. And it's funny because... Like I say, some people like it and think it's cool. Mostly, mostly guys. But uh, really, yeah, most, some guys they're like, "Oh man, that's awesome." Maybe they're just trying to make me feel good. But anyway, and there's some people who tell me like, "Man, Feldman, you gotta cut that thing, bro. That's that's goofy, dude. That's me. I think it's ridiculous. You, I'm sorry. you do, and that's okay. And like, it's funny because you know I'm a father now. I have a kid that's four and two. Mm-hmm. And in our careers, we try to tell people, "Be you." Don't worry what anybody thinks about you. Do what you want to do. Dress how you want to dress. Act how you want to act. And just don't let what other people think about you change that. Mm-hmm. But, like, I wanted a mullet a long time ago. But, honestly, I was embarrassed. I was like, well, what if, what if the patient's parents don't like it? Or what if people think it's stupid and stuff like that? And becoming a father, like, you know, aside from the safety and health of my children, like, if there's one thing I want for them, I want them to be confident with who they are and to, to be who they are. Mm-hmm. And guess what? I'm a goofy dude and I'm okay with that. And I'm finally at the point in my life where like, I really don't give a shit if anybody doesn't like my haircut because I like it. It's just a haircut. I'll cut it eventually, but I am myself. And like, I take my work seriously and I take the relationships that I have seriously. But other than that, I don't take things too seriously. So I was never going to be on the cover of GQ anyway, but uh, maybe I will now. I don't know. Feldman, that's what we love about you. You don't take yourself too seriously. But So tell me, I mean, something had to inspire the mullet. I know you're a huge WWE, WWF fan. <laughs> you're a warrior guy. Is that where the mullet comes from? No, I, I just, I mean, I think they're coming back into style. I think about a little over two years ago, I actually made a Facebook post about it. I had said when the Saints were doing really well, I said if the Saints win the Super Bowl, I'm going to grow a mullet. Uh And that was the year the refs didn't call the pass interference, but don't get me started because I'll get sad. And uh, so I didn't do it. But like I said, when the pandemic started, I was just at, it was a good time. And I was at the point in my life where I was like, hey, I'm going to grow a mullet. And honestly, in my office, it's actually, I didn't mean for it to be like a business type decision, but like the kids really like it. And, you know, I could tell some parents are like, oh, how, how can I trust this guy with a mullet? But honestly, that's not the patience that I want anyway. So, so you're using mullet selection techniques here. That's right. You know, so you don't know this. At lunch the other day, I went over to your team and I pulled them 
on their thoughts on the mullet. And uh, I want to know what you would think your team would say about oh, your I hairstyle. They, won't, they think I should cut it. Oh, you know, I thought it'd be like mixed, like 50-50. You said you have 10 of your team members here. I thought it would be like five and five. It was 100%. They want to cut the mullet too. Yeah, and that's okay, but it's not happening right now or anytime soon. <laughs> so is it going to get longer? Well, naturally. <laughs> naturally. So at some point, are you going to cut this and donate like the hair to charity? I, or? You have to have 10 inches to donate. Okay. And uh, yeah, I'll probably do that. Okay. Well, that sounds like a plan here. Yeah. So Chris, I know you very well because we went to residency together. We're going to get into that in a second. But talk to us about growing up in Louisiana and your origin story, my friend. It's funny. My family is actually from New York. All of my family, except for me and my sister, they were born in Brooklyn and raised on Long Island. But my dad took a fishing trip one time to Louisiana, like after he was getting out of anesthesia school. And he he's like, told my mom, that they're moving there. They had me a few years later. And so I'm kind of like a acquired Cajun, I guess you could say. It's not in my blood, but yeah. uh, I'm proud to be a Cajun. Yeah. So I grew up in a small town where they make Tabasco sauce. It's called New Iberia, Louisiana. Yeah. Went to UL Lafayette for college and then LSU Dental School. And then, of course, we met at Jacksonville University for ortho school. So your father was a nurse anesthetist? Nurse anesthetist, right? yes. Yeah. And your mom, I think I remember, was like a financial advisor, Yeah, right? she's a CPA and financial advisor and still the hardest working person I've ever met. Oh, that's awesome. And then you grew up where they make actual Tabasco sauce, not like generic, like the Tabasco the sauce. The Tabasco sauce. They actually, they make it in different countries as well now, I think yeah. in uh, South America, but this is where it originated and they still have a active Tabasco plant there. In New Iberia. In New Iberia on Avery Island. You'll see, you won't see New Iberia on the bottle, I don't think, but you will see Avery Island and that is a small island in New Iberia. That is so cool. So we're going to fast forward, I guess, to uh, when we met that was at uh, Jacksonville University. Probably, what was that, 2010? Yeah, that was I, my first year. I, I honestly didn't know what to make of you. We ended up becoming very good friends. Uh, but, you know, you sort of came in like a ball of fire. And I remember in morning seminar, that's when we would discuss cases, you were always so fiery and passionate. You know, you would not give up. You were like the dog that just would not let go of the chew toy. So uh, you would not concede the other side's problems. <laughs> I'm laughing here as we're getting uh, flashed here at Orthopreneurs by other people. By uh, a guy. <laughs> by a guy. Yeah. Mm, fantastic. What are your remembrances of uh, JU there, Jacksonville? Well, yeah. I mean, I was very opinionated and thought I knew what I was talking about, and I did not know shit. And Really? Uh, you nah, say that now? Yeah. You know, I think I posted it on a forum the other day. You know, when you're a resident, you, it's good to have an opinion and to feel strongly about what you believe in or what you think, but... Uh, I've learned so much since then, and, you know, I can remember teachers telling me, like, I was, like, hell-bent on doing this case, non-extraction. And the teacher's oh, like, yeah. one day you're going to be extracting more. And I'm like, no, I'm not, non-extraction, blah, blah, blah. And now I'm taking out more teeth than, way more than I would have back then, for sure. I don't know if you remember this, but you were a huge Damon guy back then. Well, I wasn't a huge Damon guy. Y'all just kind of labeled me as that because I would leave school and go to the Damon conferences. Oh, is that what it was? Okay. Um, but I did. I kept my mind open to it and I wanted to learn about it and I'm glad I did learn about it. At one point in my practice, I think 2016, I started every case in Damon brackets to see if it worked for me. And it turns out it didn't work for me like I wanted it to. And I'm a twin guy and I still use Damon brackets on some cases. I think it is better for like super crowded cases that you're going to do non X. Okay. But overall I'm a, I'm a twin guy. 
more than 90% of the time. <laughs> and that's what we love about you, Felman. Let's talk about those early days. Certainly, I have a lot of stories about you. It's funny because I always thought some of these stories were unique. Like, oh, yeah, I got a Fellman story. But everyone actually in ortho, I think, has a Fellman story. So Good. Th- those I'm not going to repeat. But what did you think about <laughs> me in the beginning? I'm curious. Let's flip the tables. Well, dude, you're, I mean, you're set up, bro. You know, one thing, I, I, we're a lot different from each other. We're totally and, different. Uh, I'm, you know, that extreme extrovert, loud, in-your-face guy. But one thing I always loved about you is like, you're truly interested in what other people have to say. And, you know, you were one of the people that was kind of like an ambassador for the school. You know, when I first moved there, like I was sad. I was sad that I were that you? I, I didn't know. I that. was sad that I had to go there. I was such a homebody. I wanted to go to LSU and I mm. didn't get into LSU. I had never really left my state for a long time. Mm-hmm. And so and then, you know, a lot of the people there. Oh, I was a single guy. Like a lot of people there were already married, kids, That's settled true. down. And I'm like in the prime of my partying career here, you yeah. know? So it was just kind of, it was hard for me. But you were always one of those people that was like super welcoming and like genuinely interested in other people and what they have to say. And that's something I still to this day have to work on because sometimes I catch myself talking too much and I'm like, maybe I need to be a better listener because smart people can talk, but the smartest ones are the ones who can listen well. So it's funny you say that because I always thought the best listener at Jacksonville was Ben Fishbine because he always asked like all these questions. I never considered myself a good listener. I think of myself more as a talker, but that's interesting. I I think you're a very humble guy and Fishbine is very similar. And to this day, you know, I can talk about anything with you and Fishbine and everybody knows he has one of the most successful ortho practices in probably the world. Yeah. And you know, I'll tell him like, Hey, I had this many starts this month. He's like, no way, dude. He's like, man, that's awesome. You're doing so well. And I'm like, if you had a month like that, it would be considered a very bad month, but you know, it's, he's just so uplifting and supportive and you're the same way. Oh, thanks man. We're getting all sappy on this podcast. Like maybe I'll make you cry for a change. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say something here that Chris, you have been a big mentor to me because I think one of the things I struggled with especially in like residency, maybe early on in my career is self-confidence and your voice with your Southern accent rings in my head all the time. Cause anytime I get down on myself or I question myself, you have an exuberance, I think of self-confidence and uh, maybe too much. No, I don't know. It's inspiring to me because you know, there would be plenty of times we went to lunch or whatever and I, I'd be down or questioning or uh, sort of like fear scarcity mindset. And, uh, you always have that abundance mindset, the positivity, and I consider you a mentor, actually. Well, I appreciate that. And, you know, I can remember when I did get settled into to JU and started realizing everything was going to be all right. And then, so I did that fellowship the first year. Mm-hmm. But when Me I too. officially yeah. got accepted into residency, like, I told myself that I would never be sad again. And, you know, as long as I'm healthy and my family and loved ones are healthy, the rest is, the rest is just details. And we're, we're all blessed. That is so true. When we come back, in just a moment, Hal Feldman meets the love of his life in Las Vegas, and Feldman and I face off in an analog versus digital steel cage match. Stay with us, you're listening to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. Kind support for this podcast comes from Fishbine Fundamentals. Dr. Ben Fishbein invites you and your team members to beautiful Pensacola Beach, Florida. I've personally attended this in-office course on several occasions, and it's amazing to help with practice growth. Dr. Ben and the Fish Ortho team 
will grant you an all-access pass to their marketing strategies, simplified new patient procedures, and efficient clinical systems. And now, you can even arrange a private coaching session for you or your team members. The next course is set for August 26th and 27th. Reserve your spot today at fishbindfundamentals.com. Welcome back to our conversation with Dr. Chris Feldman. So I know it was during residency that you had a famous trip out to Las Vegas and you met the love of your life. Let's talk about Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah. Because I'm going to make you cry now. I went, no, um, <laughs> I, you know, I went on a bachelor party with some dental classmates mm-hmm. and um, I was almost at the point where like I had some great girlfriends in my life, but I just, the spark wasn't there. Like just something wasn't right. They didn't do anything wrong. I just didn't really picture myself being with them forever Mm -hmm. and i can remember my dad would always tell me like no when you meet the one you just know it and i'm like as time went on i was like maybe that's bs maybe he's just saying that maybe maybe i'm just not gonna get married and you know so i kind of was just focused on my career at that point Mm -hmm. went on a bachelor party and like me and my friends we go get bottle service the first night unplanned and we're standing at the table and i see this group of girls walked in and one of them was really hot and i grabbed my buddy his name's cole i said cole that girl's hot. I'm going to talk to her. And I mean, I could talk to you about it for hours, but we've been together since that moment. She lived in New Jersey and I was in Florida. Mm-hmm. I graduated the next year and she moved to Louisiana when I graduated. We did long distance for about a year and uh, the rest is history. We have two beautiful children now. Yeah. And Krista is such a sweetheart. Oh, she's, she's everything that I can't be. Wow. That was profound. Yeah. She's awesome. Oh, she's she's just such a great mom. I'm he, not going to cry. He's, he's tearing up right I'm now. I'm not going to cry. But it's all right. No, I just, you're, you're making me tear up a little bit. Uh, so, just, so we both went for Jersey Girl. So you were there when I met my wife, Nicole, too. Yeah. And Nicole is awesome. And Thank actually, you. Nicole is one of Krista's favorite people. She's oh, very, Krista right. keeps a small circle. Like I'm the extreme extrovert. Yeah. And, yeah. Like she loves my, everybody. My wife and, is, is a little and, more introverted. Right. Too, I right. Think. And, yeah. but Krista and Nicole hit it off every time we go eat dinner and get together. Yeah. Like, you know, she keeps a small circle, but she loves Nicole. Yeah. All right. Enough with the love fest. Yeah. You're, you're Getting all sappy here. You're an Ultimate Warrior fan for the wrestling uh, aficionados back in the day. I was a fan of Sting. So let's have a steel cage match here because this was a totally unplanned interview. I was supposed to interview Glenn Krieger here at Orthopreneur Summit. And I think it was uh, yesterday morning that I came downstairs feeling the effects from the night before uh, a couple of Manhattans. And I haven't even taken a sip of coffee yet. And Felman, you were wound up about everything. So so what are you fired up about, Felman? I'm fired up about life. Are we talking wrestling? No, no, we're not talking oh, about wrestling. We're talking about Sting and Sting and Ultimate I know. Actually, Sting was my favorite wrestler. Ultimate Warrior would probably be second. Oh, so we're, we're, oh we're actually... I like old school Stings. So blonde we, hair, blonde he, spiky hair. And he sort of had like a rat tail, right? I don't think it was a mullet. Yeah. yeah. We can end this podcast because Feldman and I just agreed on something for the first yeah, time in our, in, in our 12-year relationship oh. here. So no, no, no. What you were talking about and the, and the reason we said, okay, we're going to have this impromptu podcast is because I'm Mr. Innovation in Digital. And I know you have certain feelings on that. And I actually think there was some, actually a fair amount of validity to what you were saying. And, you know, I'm not going to filter what people say. And I thought it's fair for you to come on as sort of a counterpoint here to a lot of things that I talk about, whether it's Invisalign, Light Force. So, Felman, you're wound up. You're fired up. I'm fired up about life. But anyway, 
lately, especially in our smaller groups, I'm getting the reputation as like the analog guy or like the anti-tech guy. And that's not necessarily it. My viewpoint, it's not, it's not new. And honestly, like, you know, Ben Burris talked about it long ago, talked about like being smart about overhead, knowing why you do what you do. And um, I just feel like there's a, such a huge push for technology. There's been so many different things in the ortho world that like, oh, this is the future. Aligners are the future. Indirect bonding is the future. This is the future. That's the future. If you're not doing this, you're going to fall behind. And I just think we need to pump the brakes on that a little bit. Okay. So How I know, so? you know, well, I know like right now the hot topics like these custom brackets on, on indirect you know, you, you scan and you get... You, but, I, but I love that stuff, right? Like the customized so, brackets, Light Force, Kale Owen. Yeah, and I would never want to bash those companies or those guys. And I had conversations with some of them over this weekend and like they're truly amazing people and they're passionate about what they do. So I don't want to be looked at as like I'm passionately against what they do. I'm just passionate about the fact that there's other ways to do it and you just have to know why you do what you do because a lot of these innovations in orthodontics cost a lot of money. And they add a lot to overhead. So if you're paying, let's just say $500 extra per case for a certain technology, right? And you're doing that for 400 cases, right? Mm -hmm. In a year. That's $200,000 that unless you can charge more for, you're making $200,000 less. And I know there's like the thought that it eliminates the need for employees, which I know there's ways it can be done correctly. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people don't necessarily do it correctly. They have all the expensive tech and they still have a lot of employees. So overhead can easily be a lot higher. But I mean, what about just like getting better results, like eliminating pan check repo, fewer appointments? Well, I, I mean, think, I think that's the and, argument. Well, it, yeah. And, and I talk about better e care. Right. And I talk about efficiency all the time mm -hmm. and I love efficiency. I just think the juice has to be worth the squeeze. It's well known that most patients in most areas in America, their number one concern or roadblock is like pricing. You know, if you can do good financing for them, that's going to allow them to get treatment. The number one desire of patients isn't like, well, I want two or three less appointments during my treatment. <laughs> but, you know? but, but they don't want to come in to see us. I mean, as much as but they love us. But that's, I don't think that's necessarily true. Or that's not, that hasn't been my experience. Okay. And I, I'm in a town that's very representative of a lot of the country. You know, we have rich, poor, we have a very diverse financial status. I just think that we just have to be careful and know why we're doing what we're doing and make sure like that what we're selling the patient is valuable. Right? Okay. And like, I'll probably do some light force cases. I think like, you know, like light force seems like the one I would be most interested in because, you know, people already like ceramic brackets. That's pretty popular. And ceramic brackets typically already come with the upcharge to the ortho. Mm -hmm. So when you do the math on that, yeah, light force might not be a lot more expensive than regular ceramic brackets. Yeah. And you probably can get patients to pay a little bit more for it. You know, if you can do that and be more efficient, then that's awesome. All right. So you're saying the argument that if you're going to implement technology, we should be charging more for technology, which I, you know, I think there's a lot of validity to that because, you know, Align came out with a message years ago. Hey, why don't you charge the same as you charge for braces? And I think that was a little bit to their I, agenda, right? Of course. I mean, at $1,800 a case, $1,900 a case, that's so much profit you're losing unless you can charge more for it. And they say, well, it saves you chair time. Yeah. Well, if you ask every orthodontist in the country what their number one desire is, what's it going to be? It's not going to be more chair time. Most yeah. of them, it's going to be more patience, right? Because yeah. they want more money. Well, how do you feel about this chair time argument? 
Well, I think there's definitely some validity to it. I mean, yeah. obviously, like, I'm not blind to the data. I mean, the data shows that a lot of orthodontists, it takes them less appointments to finish aligner cases. No, but I mean, I think uh, when we were speaking before, you were saying, you know, the chair time argument is a little bit moot because, you know, most people have excess chair time. Exactly. It is. Unless you really are one of those practices that's busting at the seams and really does need chair time. Or maybe you say, you know what? I'm okay making less profit because it's going to make my life easier and maybe I don't have to work as much. That's cool. Just understand, unless you're charging more, you are making less profit. It might be more profit per appointment, but overall it is still less profit. Yeah. Look, orthodontists, we are so lucky. Even the highest overhead numbers, you're still making great margins, right? Oh, yeah. I know I can come off extreme. Like it, This isn't like a question of whether you're going to fail or succeed or be rich or poor or anything like that. I just like to be accurate when we talk about the numbers and things like that. And I do think sometimes innovations cost maybe more than they're worth. I don't think like these custom brackets are a magic pill for everything. I mean, you still, if you have an impacted canine, still takes a while to get the canine in. If you have a deep curve of speed, still takes a while to level the curve of speed. You have spacing close, still takes a little while to close the spacing. So can it eliminate some appointments? Maybe so. I guess you just have to figure out how much two or three appointments less is worth. No, I think there's truth in what you're saying because now as I'm starting to do some more custom bracket cases, I mean, there's certainly ones where we're starting, we're scanning, we're getting the custom brackets, but there's still some ease presence. There's still some fives erupting, right? Now we're going to have to rescan and get brackets. Exactly. And-, and maybe for other cases, it really does make a big difference, you know, yeah. but... I just don't like blanket statements. And maybe it is a future like way like, down the line. Like blanket but, statements like mullets suck. Exactly. Because that would be incredibly <laughs> wrong. And frankly, I, I'm starting to think you're getting a little jealous. A jealous? <laughs> I, I, I can't ever imagine settle with a mullet. Dude. I don't know. Well, I'm trying to picture it now. You might be right. Yeah. <laughs> Some people just can't pull it off. It's okay, though. So, but, <laughs> so talk to me, Chris, about Invisalign, because well, what you're saying uh, at your practice is like when you have people come in for Invisalign, what, what do you tell them? That's kind of a whole thing that I, I didn't get to say yet is that I really don't want to be seen like I'm bashing something. But honestly, I, I don't like digital homework. I'd rather just see the patient in person. And like no patient has ever told me, like, I don't want to come to the office. You know, <laughs> like, I expect you to treat me without even seeing me. Well, yeah, because they're going to Smile Direct Club, Chris. Well, maybe. But have you seen one of the things that frustrates me the most is when I try to get a patient to bite on their back teeth. <laughs> I can't even get them to do it right in person, yeah. much less from home. Yeah, so, I mean, well, that's true. So how I don't know, you know, proper diagnosis and all that. I mean, I feel like that can be hard to do. But and truth be told, like, I don't have a ton of experience with this stuff because it's just not interesting to me. And maybe that's my most important message is that. You don't have to do this or that to succeed. Find what you like. Find what you're good at. Make sure it makes business sense because you are running a business Mm -hmm. and do the shit out of it. Yeah. So do you think right now the message is if you're not doing digital, if you're not doing aligners, if you're you're not joining an OSO or DSO, you are set up for failure? Do you think think that's what the narrative is? I don't think people mean to paint that picture. But I think sometimes, especially if you're a younger orthodontist i remember when smile direct club came out when i was a young orthodontist worrying about where i'm gonna get patients from and oh, I, yeah. that gave me anxiety i was scared i was like oh my god are me too they gonna i thought put the sky was falling me too so like i just don't want other less experienced orthodontists to feel like they have to do something a certain way 
there's two things you got to do. Three things. You have to get a great team or a functional team, right? Yeah, okay. You have to get your patients to like you and your team, mm-hmm. right? And you have to be an okay orthodontist, right? <laughs> I'm striving to be a great orthodontist. Like I, you, you are. I am, I, I will I'm say giving that. it everything I got. And I know I still have to get a lot better and I, I will continue to get better. So Feldman, let me ask you this. How do you keep on improving? Well, first you just have to have the desire, right? You have to think about it. But um, a few things that I've done recently in the past couple of years that have, I feel like have helped me to elevate my clinical skills is I went back to treatment plan in every single case from like an appointment by appointment standpoint. It's oh, not like right? a, it's not like a, Bible necessarily, but it's like a guide, right? So like every single case that I'm going to start, I have a plan. We're going to start bracketing these teeth. Maybe we'll do mini brackets on the lower sevens. Turbos are going here. Might only have to tie in this bracket on one wing because we won't be able to fully engage it yet. You know, and I go step by step and it really allows me to do most of the hardcore thinking on the front end when it's quiet and I don't have other distractions. Mm. And it also allows my team member to know exactly what's going on and what I expect and can really help with the flow of the clinic as well. So it's interesting you say that because that's actually what I like about the digital side is that, you know, it's very hard to treatment plan on the fly when, you know, there's other wet brackets out in the clinic that you have to set. Five other people need you. They want a treatment plan. Right. You're like, yeah, 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 yeah. Here's my treatment plan. So what's nice for me is like, okay, we're going to scan. We'll do life force. I'm going to come back to that and look at the case and really like think about it. So I love that you're taking time though. This is like the analog way of doing it, right? Well, yeah. And it, I mean, it, it literally takes me most cases. Like I have some predefined plans for your typical cases. I would say on average, it probably takes me two to three minutes per case. I'm getting a little faster at it. And it doesn't mean we can't change it up. It's just kind of what I expect to happen. And it's kind of like a goal for amount of visits. And that's another point I didn't make when we're talking about this efficiency stuff. And, you know, Jeff Kozlowski and I talk about the term free efficiency. I'm like, well, before we start spending a lot of money to get more efficient, are we sure we've maxed out our efficiency the analog way per se? Mm -hmm. Because I know my average appointments per case has gone down in the last four years. It's gone down by six visits. Oh, is that right? So if at that point four years ago, I would have said like, oh, I need to do something to be more efficient. Like maybe I could have, you know, went to a more tech savvy way, but I just started to think differently and really try to see how I can become more efficient with the way I was doing it. And I'm not done yet. And that can make a huge difference in your practice and your life. When we come back in just a moment, We'll get Feldman's recipe for creating an awesome team culture and practice. Stay with us. You're listening to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. Support for this podcast also comes from Dentarum. Located at the gateway to the Black Forest, in the heart of the precision engineering industry, Dentarum has been developing dental products since 1886. Discover Dentarum's full line of German-engineered orthodontic products, such as brackets, wires, and instrumentation. Also check out their renowned Thomas System, an orthodontic mini-screw kit for TAD-supported palatal expansion and distalization. And Dentarum invites you to Las Vegas for TADCON 2022 at the Four Seasons Hotel on December 2nd and 3rd. For more information, please head over to dentarum.com. 
And we're back to our conversation with Dr. Chris Feldman. So Chris, what about patients coming in, they're asking for clear aligners? Like, what's your take on this from the Feldman standpoint? Well, you know, there was a time when I kind of was like, oh, the patient mentions it, we got to do it. And so I was starting a ton of aligner cases. Yeah, and I remember like, you were doing some. And I just, well, I say a ton. I guess that's relative, but. Like three. Really. <laughs> <laughs> well, and there was one year I did almost 100, which was a lot. Oh, did me. you? Yeah, wow. I did a lot. Were, so, you like, were you like a gold provider? I don't know. I started getting a little <laughs> minuscule discount. But anyway, I realized then, like, I just don't like working with aligners. I don't. And I took the intensive fellowship and I feel like I get it. But I just, I just didn't enjoy it. I think sometimes the patients can be more picky and like they don't, you know, it's like the cases never end or like you might get everything straight and then there's still these little bitty spaces that you just can't close. I tried the fake IPR, the residual spaces, the C chain, all that. And it's just a pain. And some people love it. And a lot of people probably are way better than me at it, obviously. But I'm going to leave that alone. Well, I just realized, you know, I don't like doing aligners, so I'm just not going to do as many. Okay. Now, when patients come in, I still get asked about it a lot, and I still do it sometimes. But if it's a case that I don't feel like I can provide my best service mm-hmm. with aligners, I just tell them that. I say, look, there's probably some clinicians around here that can give you the results you're looking for with aligners, but I just don't feel comfortable treating this case that way. It's not that it can't be done. It's just that I don't want to be the one to do it. And they understand that. And most of them, they get braces. Yeah. Especially the teenagers. I've had a very poor time getting them to comply. They'll wear it for the first like 10 weeks. And then it's like, oh, no, not anymore. And like we end up switching the braces and then we got to charge them more. And the mom doesn't like it and this and that. Most of the teenagers, honestly, I just. Is there like crying like, involved? Uh, Not it. No, not really. Oh, so you're but, exaggerating. But that. I cry tears of joy when I realize I get to just put braces on them <laughs> and save money and do the treatment that. I know I can provide my best service with. When I talk to other orthodontists, they say, like, well, maybe it's just your area. You know, it's not as popular. And there's, that's probably true. I know that there's probably other areas where it's a higher demand and you just really would be losing a lot of patients if you didn't get good with the liners right. or, or whatever it, it might be. And to them, I would say, like, number one, they're probably right. You know, most people I feel like have a firm grasp on reality, the reality of their area. But at the same time, I think my goal is that every patient that comes in my office, I want them to already know that they're going to be my patient before they step foot in the door. And how, and do, you, how do you do that? Oh, uh, that we could talk about that for hours. But I mean, well, you know, they, their friends, their friends have braces with me. They've seen our advertisement. They've seen us out in the community. You know, they've seen pictures on social media and it's like that herd mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a great experience with our awesome receptionist when they call to schedule their first appointment. So I just think if they come in knowing that they're going to be your patient, it takes the pressure off of you. Like I can often be honest and say like, look, I just don't really want to treat you with this appliance. And they say, okay, well, we'll do what you recommend. You're the doctor. And it happens all the time. I mean, I think you have to be good at reading people and gauging like how serious they are. Mm-hmm. But but I think if you set up the right office culture, it takes a little bit of pressure off you in that regard. So it doesn't have to be like, oh, you don't have to think, well, I don't want to treat this case with aligners, but if I don't, I'm going to lose this case. Yeah. Well, maybe you won't lose the case. Chances are you're not going to. Because they so, came to you for a reason. So let's transition here a little bit. You mentioned office culture. And I think one of the things you're particularly known for is not just connecting with people and your authenticity, 
but you have a fantastic office culture. So how'd you cultivate that? A lot of luck, but, um, I think it's taken a lot of effort and time and thought, but at the end of the day, like my team is better than me. Um, Hmm. they're just really great people. And like, they're here at this conference and like, I know that maybe, uh, official business person might not agree with the way I approach them, but like these ladies are there. They are my friends. They are my sisters. I talk to them like they're my friends and they know they can talk to me like I'm their friend. I'm not going to get mad and fire them if they say something that I don't like or, or want to hear. Maybe I needed to hear it. You well, know? well, it's like the mullet, right? We had to go on the podcast. Well, it. and they can be wrong about things like that, just like <laughs> you are. But anyway, you know, they're just what we've established. I mean, I am thrilled that I get to go to work every day with people that I enjoy being around and that are really, really good at their jobs. And mm. it's not just a job to them. They take pride in it. And I go to bat for them, but they, they will go to bat for me. And more importantly, they have each other's backs. They love each other. So I joke with them. I'm like, y'all can never leave me because even if you can't stand me, you love each other too much. So I guess it'd be either they're all with me or they're all not. But they're just a special group of people. And I'm so proud of what we've been able to accomplish together. And I realize I need to pump the brakes on my ego sometimes. It used to be all about me. And I used to try to put everything on my shoulders and I used to try to micromanage everything and it, I still struggle with that sometimes, but like, well, me too. The more I trust them, the better things seem to go. Mm-hmm. And lately it's like, they'll be like, Hey, Dr. Feldman, um, what should we do about this? And I'm like, what do you think we should do? Knowing that no matter what they say, I'm going to tell them, yes, that's what we're going to do. Good job. <laughs> Because I trust well, them. Well, now they know the secret, but because, no, there's so much to be said for the trust factor. Yeah, it's really just a blessing. And, you know, I think us as orthodontists and any real business owners, it's like I wake up every day and I got to pinch myself. Life is so great. Mm. And like these are the people that help me to achieve my dreams every day. Mm. And like I'll be damned if I'm not going to help them do the same thing. Like I want my contribution to their life to be something special. You know, more than just the money that comes with a job. Chris, that was special, man. That was, it's, that was good. It's true. I, I mean it. And I, I think that a lot of orthos struggle with managing what well, they call them staff. I don't know what staff is an infection. <laughs> they, but they have, they have trouble managing their team. And I think it's because they often take themselves too seriously and don't understand the talents and the, expertise that their team members have yeah that's great and you know you touched on this before but the loyalty factor because i think you know especially now during covid times you know employees are so transient we we live in this throwaway culture but i'm so impressed that you're you have really retained a wonderful team so like speak to me about loyalty where do you think that comes from just all the things you said before i mean loyalty it's like a mirror man you give it they'll give it right back you know i mean it's uh I would hope that they know that I'm loyal to them and like I would never just give up on them. And if they struggle, you know, if they have tough times, it's, they're not on the hot seat. Mm-hmm. You know, I know that they're not going to just up and leave our office. So, you know, one thing I've said this before, I'm most proud of. And, you know, I don't know how long after today this podcast is going to come out, but as of now, mm-hmm. we have never had a person that has been with us for 90 days that is not still with us. Mm-hmm. And, like I said, I think maybe it's mostly because they love each other, but like, 
I just think we're doing things right. And like, it just clicked to me, you know, like these people are an important part of my life and I'm not going to treat them like they're just replaceable parts. Yeah. No, that's great. Because they're not. If I lost any one of them, our practice would suffer. Mm. Let's transition here. So this is a common question I ask to all the innovators, which, uh, you know, in many ways, honestly, I think you are an innovator because you you push us all forward, Chris. But where do you think the future of orthodontics is? Uh, that's, That's a broad question. I think that... I think the future of orthodontics is extremely bright. Okay. I think that like we kind of touched on, you can run a successful practice almost any way you want. You can be high end and expensive technology. You can be on that more inexpensive end and use cheap products and still get okay results. Right. I don't know if I had a message to anybody who is new and like wondering where they need to be or what they need to do or how they need to do it. Like do what you want to do. Just commit to becoming great at it and treat people right. Make sure people know you care. Don't forget the simple things. Tell people, thank you for being your patient. Tell them hi. When they walk in smile, you know, they can see it in your eyes. They might not be able to see behind the mask, but it's the simple things that really, that really will make us successful. And look, there's a lot of threats to our profession, blah, blah, blah. Nobody can do it like we do. Nobody. They can't even come close. And I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. So I think there's a lot of crooked teeth out there. We just have to figure out what our niche is and who we are and what type of orthodontist we are going to be. By way of update, Feldman finally decided to cut the mullet last month, ending his two years of mullet madness. Feldman did end up donating his Louisiana locks to a great cause, though, children with hair loss. As always, this podcast would not be possible without the Illuminate team. That's Skylar Adler on the mixing console and Tom O'Grady on the Fender Rhodes piano. This episode marks the conclusion of season two of Illuminate. A special thanks to all of the companies who have supported this podcast over the past two years, including Lightforce Ortho, Fishbine Fundamentals, Kalo and Stride Custom Braces, Hip Creative, Digital Orthodontics Hub, Retainer Club, The Aligner Intensive Fellowship, Embrace, ODL Lab, Dentographics, Scriptogram and Braces Academy, OrthoBuddy, and Dentarum. Illuminate will be back for a third season starting in April. Thanks so much for listening to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. If you like the show, please take a second to click subscribe. Also, I'd really appreciate if you could share this show with your friends. Until next time, this is Chris Setta, signing off.